0: Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Wet Paint NYC podcast. I'm Paul Cepeda and I'm here with photographer and video artist Ashley G Garner. Welcome Ashley.
1: Hi Paul, it's so good to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming out. I've done a few of these podcasts, but this is the first time that I am meeting somebody for the very first time when they walk in the door to do the podcast. But, you know, previously it's been friends or colleagues, that kind of thing. So this is uh, this is a first.
1: Oh, I'm so excited. Yay!
0: <laughs> and so, you know, that being the case, why don't you tell us a little bit about Um, Like you, sort of like your background, where you came from, how you got into art, that kind of thing, because looking through your website, I discovered your beautiful photography series, as well as the collaborative projects that you're doing with the um, videos and tapping into the sounds that plants make and uh, being able to taste color and that kind of thing. Um, and I want to get all of the details from you, but before we get into all of that, where do you come from and how did you get to to, the, to this crazy town of New York?
1: Paul, I was hoping you'd ask me that. <laughs> uh, so I am Ashley G. Garner, as you already said. I am 27 and I've been in New York for six years now. Um, I guess essentially how I got into this whole shebang, I went to school in Miami at FIU and majored in art history and fine art photography. But I only ended up with that because I was trying to go into fashion, got stuck at a public university, um, and art was kind of the only outlet at that university to focus on fashion. So all my art degrees were focused on me really breaking down what is fashion, what is clothing on a psychological and social, you know, uh, aspect of it. And then at the, whole, the whole time I was in college, I was modeling uh, to be able to make contacts to move to New York because the whole plan was, I want to go to New York. Sorry. I just got stuck in state for college. Sorry. Yeah, so uh, it was great. It actually totally worked out to my advantage because a woman that I used to model for all the time, her PR marketing person ended up becoming the vice president of Scope. So when I moved up here, I was applying for, right before I moved up here, I was applying for any job I possibly could find, reaching out to everybody I knew in New York, just saying, hey, I'm moving up here. And my contact ended up offering me a job at Scope directly out of college. And I worked in sales doing exhibitor sales for Scope Art Fair, um, which is essentially my job was to reach out to every single gallery in the entire world that you can imagine, you know, all over the place and ask them to get a booth at our fair versus another fair. And so that that really threw me deep into the art world and what the art world is, how galleries operate, what art fairs are, how they operate, because, you know, I was in Miami for five years, so you have art balls on Miami mm-hmm. all the time. And I was always there doing modeling jobs and stuff, but I didn't really, and most people don't until they work in the art fair world, what art fairs are right. um, and the politics of art fairs and how they're different than galleries and how they're different than museums and, and just, you know, how all of these politics intermingle with each other. Um, so it got to be really toxic because it was nothing but politics. We were never talking about art. No one really cared about art. We were really just there for it money.
0: The
1: it was about filling the booths. It was about money and it was about celebrity, you know, like as much glamour as possible. We, we even did um, a thing with Swizz Beats right before he left Scope and did his own art fair called No All Commission right, Now. Right, right. So I was like the, the, I spearheaded that entire thing um, of Swizz Beats having a special programming with us in Miami. And then he ditched us and started <laughs> his own thing to help out artists that are in his collection to essentially make his artists more valuable right. because it's his yeah. artwork. Um, so I worked at Scope for about a year and a half until I just got really burned out by the politics of the art world. And I wanted to go into fashion the whole time anyways. You know, I, I had a portfolio, I guess, of art photography from school, but I was doing fashion photography the entire time. Um, so once I left Scope, I delved really deep into doing fashion photography and then realized, oh, this is a really fucked up... Oh, excuse my language. I don't know if I'm allowed to. Okay. <laughs> okay. You say whatever you want. Yay! <laughs> you're
0: a, you're a crazy artist. And if anybody has a problem with
1: that... You will have to listen. But, <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, it just... The fashion industry was... In terms of fashion photography, was an industry that expected you to, you know invest in makeup artists and stylists and hairstylists and locations and designers and whatever it is that you need to take photos that look very similar to other photos that you've already seen to get published by magazines that say that they're looking for new talent, but really they just want to see the same thing they already publish. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just get really burned out with the types of photos that you're taking and seeing like things that you're most excited about being turned down over and over and over again, and the things that you're so bored by being accepted over and over and over again. And I finally got to a point where I got offered um, to shoot the cover of a print magazine that was going to go national. And it was Tessa May Thompson on the cover, who's like now this huge celebrity. And, you know, she's like the actress in Creed and all that stuff. Um, And she was just about to be in Creed. In when we shot her so the whole thing was like gonna be timed with the release right, of right. that so I was like and I got offered to shoot the cover and shoot her and I was like oh my god this is my big break in the fashion industry yeah. now once I have a celebrity and cover shoot in my portfolio mm. that'll be the thing to start like this is the thing I get paid for finally right. and when I reached out to them I was like yes of course I would love to do this what is the rate and they were like oh no 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 your payment is getting to shoot her for our magazine. That's the payment. And I'm like, hmm, I feel like somebody's getting paid in the process of this and it's not me. And I was too fresh in, you know, I was just too young in my portfolio to say no to a job like that. It would be Uh stupid not to. I figured, you know, maybe this will... that's what they were counting on. Exactly, of course. And that's that's how the fashion industry operates. That's also how the art industry operates. So after that, I did the pictures. They went no, you know, they got on the cover, but they were... Like you know, I posted them on social media. And it led to nothing. It was just crickets. They were because it looked commercial and boring, and it looked like nothing like my portfolio. Um, and and so after that, I was like, I can't, I can't do fashion anymore. Went through a really bad breakup, and that led to me making a really intense body of my first fine art body of work called Mermaid Food. And that's when I got started doing video too, um, very seriously. So mermaid food is very like caravaggio-esque it's all black background you know very dim lighting lots of fish and guts and like beautiful women that are just like interacting and eating this blood and guts and flesh
0: yeah Yeah. (laughs) for anybody who's listening you have to uh look up ashley's work and when i put it on um youtube i will have some visuals and stuff for you but This stuff is fantastically detailed, fantastically produced and stylized with so much detail and emotion and, you know, fantastic use of light and shadow and um, and all of these things. And then the stories that I'm sure she'll get into that are tied in with them, the sort of the mythology behind all of these things are just really fantastic. So there's a whole lot. When you when you go to her website and start looking into her work um, or her Instagram, or whatever, you're going down a rabbit hole. So be prepared, but I highly encourage it.
1: Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I made that body of work and I started putting it out on social media, and it was you know so different than all my fashion stuff naturally, and so I started to lose a lot of my audience, but then I started to gain a whole new this audience. Was the audience
0: that wasn't necessarily yeah. You get where you wanted to be. So exactly, they're so the kind, they kind of people yourself. that.
1: I, I, there's, it's like, it's weird because it's like what you saw with fashion photography and fashion stuff was I would post a picture and say, you know, here's a picture that I took and whatever. And let's say I get like 20 likes on it. Great. I post the exact same picture and say, this picture has been published by blah, blah, blah. 300 likes and it's like shouldn't you all like this photo if you liked the photo and that's how it was operating Yeah, I'm sure we all have it is so frustrating You're just like banging your head against a wall and so I started putting out this you know mermaid food stuff and It was you know, it was amazing, you know, just like so many people reaching out It was you know the body work was made about a very intense depression and trauma that I was going through and just like You know getting it out and
0: so you were um, creating the work at the time while you were going through this through these feelings yeah. and this experience
1: yeah exactly I think, oh, that's super powerful essentially yeah to, to give a little background on that I uh, was in a really bad relationship very abusive they got me evicted from my apartment I literally made this work uh, like with starting two weeks after I got evicted from my apartment we found a new apartment and I started making that work immediately I was unemployed I was living off of an unemployment check I was working for one of the now top artists in the industry Lena Iris Victor um and I was an unpaid intern with her. And so I'm in her studio painting with 24 karat gold, her own paintings, because she doesn't you know, always paint her own paintings by herself. And then I'm coming at home and making this body of work. And it was really great, though, working with her at the time, because she was very encouraging of of that and very supportive of the work. And it really gave me that confidence that I needed to continue pursuing it because it was really scary to go out there and make this whole new really dark body of work I'm leaving Scope I was out of Scope at that point I'm unemployed you know I really have lost everything that I had built in the past year and a half of living in New York so at this point you know a year and a half after I'd been here and and then all my contacts that I had made at Scope at this point were all social media friends and so they're seeing me post all these pictures and stuff of you know this this mermaid stuff and I started getting people reaching out to me and a gallery in Copenhagen ended up like offering me to have a solo show. Um, that ended up not necessarily happening, but you know, all of that encouragement really led to me building that confidence. yeah. Yeah. You know, and just be like, yes, this is the thing. And so that was 2015. Then I got a job at pier 59 studios, which is a big fashion photography studio. And my whole goal originally was to do fashion, not art. And so now,
0: did you want to do fashion photography or 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 make fashion yourself, you know, actually design the clothes? What 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 was your original plan before? Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I originally was a journalist. So okay. when I was in college, I used to write my, for my school newspaper. I did several internships that were for uh, Style-based platforms that we're talking about how people get dressed and you know how clothing affects our lives and just those types of things. So I essentially wanted to run my own magazine one day. So I got degrees in photography and tell, tell, tell stories. And tell Whatever. stories. Yes, so, yeah. I was always a storyteller. I can see
0: a thread developing here. You want you are telling stories and because uh, I can see in your work there are a lot of oh, damn. stories behind <laughs> or or either behind them or being told through them. So maybe maybe we're maybe we're onto something. You might
1: have just made a conviction I didn't <laughs> know about. <laughs> Uh yeah uh, okay, absolutely so yeah so it's story. always about it's always been about stories and uh, and so I got degrees in photography and art history so that I could better understand the people that would eventually work for a magazine that I would like to run like I could understand photography I could understand journalism I could understand editing and InDesign and layouts and all that jazz um, so. Finally got the job at Pier Fifty Nine to be around the top photographers in the industry, shooting the top things and see how they do it. You know, because mm-hmm. at my school they didn't teach us digital photography, and they didn't teach us Photoshop, and they didn't teach us studio lighting. They they were very anti. Almost
0: only you know. They're very anti that. Now, yeah. Though, so there you go.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Well, for them, they're very fine art based schools. Uh, yeah, so so they're like, if you're a fine art photographer, you only yes. shoot film, you only shoot outside, photojournalism. You know, very Robert Frank um, type type worker. Mm-hmm. You know, Winogrand. If you're not doing that, then you're not a fine art photographer to, at my school. Um, so they, they hated my work, to say the least. <laughs> I was doing very different work than what's on my website now.
0: It happens to the best of us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, uh, that, was, that was my whole goal. So at Pier 59, I, I got to see how the top, everything you've ever seen, every top campaign, every magazine cover, oh, every New York Times, how it's done, who's doing it, how their team's built, you know, it's pretty much the same five photographers, it's the same three set designers, it's the same five art directors. And it made me realize, oh, people aren't getting selected for major commercial and fashion jobs because they're good. They're doing they're getting selected because they're signed to the right creative agencies and creative agencies are the people that really have the power. And also really interesting was that you first of all, all their portfolios looked exactly the same. You know, you're flipping through and you're just like, I feel like I'm looking at the same thing every time. It was really interesting The almost the year that I worked there, I never saw a non-white or non-very light-skinned photographer come in. There was never an African-American, never a black photographer, nothing. And it showed me how racist the industry was. Um, you know, after Beyonce and the Vogue cover last year, having the first black photographer ever shoot the cover of Vogue in 150 years, it's it's a, it's a racist
0: industry, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, it's, it's certainly been set up that way, you know, for, I mean, you know, it was... The people that were putting these things on, they picked who they wanted to pick. I mean, it's the same thing with uh, galleries, and um, I'm not necessarily in the ga- necessarily saying the galleries are racist, although some I'm sure are, but it's more about, you know, rather than take a chance, go with something that uh, you can in some ways control or, or is already prefabricated so that it's safe. It's a safe yeah. Which is which act. is kinda sad because, you know, that's the art comes in at the very edge of safety to say the least for sure, which is I think why, you know, you had that major breakthrough in creating this this real uh, beautiful body of artistic work when you were in this time when you felt super unsafe. You know, you you had just lost a place to live, you were um, you know, you were you were going through all these major changes and it, it, it seems to have paid off. So kudos.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. God, I never thought about it quite like that. But absolutely. Um, yeah. So so after working at Pier 59 for about a year, I was just kind of exploring my photography after my food from that and just playing with a lot of different ideas. And then I left there and went freelance for a while and uh, started I realized I got stuck in this like freelance photography. Free, well, I just went freelance jobs. Okay. Like whatever I whatever I left Pier 59, be creative, 59
0: and I creatively or was it just whatever you could do to survive?
1: Whatever I could do to survive. survive. Yep. Yep. I had to get out of there. It was such a toxic place to be and it was it was one of those jobs that you're so dead exhausted and emotionally exhausted that you can't even look for another job while there. So I had to leave to be able to even look for another job, you know?
0: Yeah, let alone this idea of people, you know, a lot of people think it's like, okay, get a get a regular job, get your 9 to 5 job or whatever it is, and then go home and make your artwork if you're an artist on, you know, on your off time or on the weekend, and then you'll be safe and that'll be fine. But as you were just alluding to, I mean even in just like a regular job, you're burnt at the end. Of, if you actually paid any attention to what you were doing that day, you know, putting in all that time, you know, let alone the commute and everything else and putting up with people's bullshit, it's you're worn out and you're not at your best you're you're not usually at your at your creative best for sure so it it it's a real it that's really tough mm-hmm. um, and most of the people who I've spoken with on here have at least at some point in their life they've had to do that some some have been able to transition into you know just full time but that that's scary in and of itself i mean i i've spoken with people too who, who was like they had fan, you know, meteoric careers, like fantastic rises where you think, oh my god, this they're set for life. And then a year or two later, they're wondering, you know, what's, things are slowed up or, you know, how do I grow, you know, that thing. So it seems to be a constant uh, scary struggle for us. But the, the folks who are willing to take the jump are the ones that we hear about. And that's why we're here speaking today, because you <laughs> took that jump. I sure so, did. So, congrats again. Thanks. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was... That was a time.
0: Exactly. It's not easy. <laughs> it's, I, mean, it, yeah. I would assume that you're still going through some form of this. I mean, yeah.
1: You know, something that I think most people don't realize about when artists move to New York, and I've talked to lots of young artists that are interested in moving to New York and they want to know how I did it. And people... Some people think that I'm so successful because they see me working at all these really high-end jobs. But just to make things very clear, I've been paid minimum wage at every single job. Even when I was at Scope Art Fair, I was paid less than $30,000 a year. And that's no PTO, no health benefits, no no serious art job in New York will give you benefits. They won't give you PTO. They won't give you sick days. You're working hourly, $10 to $15 an hour. They're working you to the bone, to a point of abuse. And then they say, um, yeah, and more. So so that was we'll the thing the Exactly. <laughs> and they know that if you say, Well, I'm done, they'll find another sucker. And that's the whole thing that I found really um that's why I had was I was telling you earlier that I found it was a there's no conversation happening in New York between artist to artist about how little we're getting paid, about the things that we're actually being offered, because a lot of people I have found are embarrassed to talk about those things because they feel like, oh, everybody else must be doing better. I don't want to admit how poorly I'm being treated because You know, I must be the only one, and I'm very open about these things. I'm like, yeah, this is what I was paid. This is how crappy these people are. This this is abuse, and it's not okay. And how much am I willing to allow myself to be abused? Um,
0: This is well, you know what? This is exactly why we're here. This is exactly why I'm doing this, um, because you know these stories should be told. I had never really even been to New York before I moved here. So I really didn't know what I was getting into. Um, my I was actually living outside of New York City and finding... I had already done some things in my career, but, I was, but since I had no contacts here, I was finding shows on Craigslist and training in from Connecticut with just what I could carry under my arms, and that's what I could show. And when I say finding shows on Craigslist, I'm talking about in like a dark bar in the lower east side with literally no lights and you're like you guys are putting on an art show in here with no lights are like well we turned the lights off because you know it's people want to dance and I'm also like okay well then what are you doing what are you doing the art what are you doing the art for but uh, but then, you know it's literally i get off the tram I'm like i'm walking around with all these paintings under my head, i'm like this is the lower east side what's the lower east side i had no idea but that's exactly what a lot of folks prey on is folks they have no idea and they're willing to give it a shot like for sure and um so it's great that you're willing to talk about that so you're talking about how little you got paid but then let's talk a little bit about like what it costs to live here i mean good god almighty when i i mean my mom finds it insulting that i pay as much when I, I couldn't I didn't even tell her for the first couple of years that I lived here because I knew she would practically you know have a coronary. So, well she wouldn't she couldn't do that. She I, that's why I knew better because she would just be like, "That's disgusting that you would pay that much." Because I mean you can own entire houses, you know, easily you know pay mortgages for what we're we for what we're doing that. here. We yes. All right. So so all right. So there are a lot of things we don't talk about as artists oh. in New York. Yes. But then again you know we're we're, we're living this we're, we're trying to do something right that's the point right we're trying to do something a little special and I think that's why when people see you on social media doing you know whatever it is that you're doing and what what it is that you're doing is working your ass off um, and when they when they see that it maybe slightly has some some sh- slightly shiny looking payoff they assume that it's oh you know, okay. yeah you, 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 that you're in you know that, that you made it big yeah. um hopefully at some point that's the case but even if you make it big here like that's Making it as big is one, two months' rent, maybe, and then, you know, you got to make it big again, you know.
1: Precisely. Over, was... over, over again. Yeah, you know, that's that's really what I learned when I was at Scope and having um, seen all these top-tier artists that are the top artists in Juxtapose and High Fructose and all these things and getting all these major shows. And, and you just shared all over the place. And I'm, you know, I befriended them. I went to their homes. We went out together and... And I'm just like, oh, you guys are living a very similar quality of life to what I'm living. And I'm supposedly paid much lower than you. And yet you can maybe go on vacation once a year. You can, you maybe have a savings account. That's about it. You're still struggling. You're still living in a crappy or fairly crappy apartment. You know, you're still commuting every single day on the subway. You're still going to the same grocery store, eating the same food, doing the same thing. Like, you're not living, you don't have nicer things than me. You don't have a nicer apartment than me. And like, I live in a, you know, standard crappy bushwick apartment. And, and it was just one of those moments of like, God, you know, and it, it took me, I, I didn't get to that moment though until this year. Or end of last year. Okay. After last year, in 2018, I did nine shows of my work. It was the biggest, you know, push nine, of my nine work.
0: Nine shows in one year? Nine shows in one year.
1: Like, okay. One year. It was a group of solo shows and a group of group shows all together coming out to nine. So and a big push. Huge. Just like, I mean, and all that came from my, my newest body of work that I, well, new-ish. It's been going on since 2017. So after doing, I guess, rewind a bit. After doing Mermaid Food and creating this really dark body of work, leaving going back into fashion leaving fashion going freelance again and then during that time i was freelance i um i started to explore how can i get out of this black background i found as a photographer i was stuck in a black background setting and i couldn't even find myself to be inspired to take photos outside again i got stuck in the studio which was ironic because i had started never knowing how to shoot in the studio and in miami i would always go outside use natural lighting i never used studio lighting and was always you know doing self portraits out in nature and stuff. And then I moved up to New York, and I couldn't do that anymore. I had a day job. I didn't have daylight hours accessible anymore. I couldn't put my camera on a tripod and walk away ten feet and trust it. Absolutely not. And I was doing self portraits, so I couldn't. I couldn't take the same self portrait with somebody there with me as I could when I was by myself. So it wasn't the same work anymore. So I had to. I really. It took about a year to change my work and figure out how I can completely change my entire process. Um, and so and now, and
0: now over that year what were you doing to figure that out did you were you just trying things and seeing what you thought were
1: exactly yeah i was just trial and error. lots of trial and error i lived in an apartment with no windows when i first moved here yep so i lived in, it was like a, a warehouse
0: <laughs> that's standard by the yes. way folks
1: <laughs> i paid 800 dollars for that apartment
0: <laughs> wow was that was that your were you sharing that with somebody for 800
1: it was an illegal squatting situation in a warehouse in Williamsburg. My room was the size of a twin bed. And um, they lit- it was a bunch of squatters, like um, punk, crusty punk, gy- gypsy squatters.
0: And you still had to pay. See, and you had $800. To York, you still had to pay.
1: No windows, no AC, and no well, heating. Crazy. No Wi-Fi either. Well,
0: I would think not.
1: Yeah, oh, no, uh, I know you I couldn't. Know. But, uh, but it was in a really great location. Yeah. <laughs> South 2nd and oh, Bedford. There
0: you <laughs> go. See, all right. See, let's look look at what we do for for you look at what we do for you folks you know we we go through all of this just to torture ourselves enough to make some really interesting stuff for you to look at (laughs) so look at it enjoy it anyway back to the story oh
1: yeah god damn yeah (laughs) so so yeah just trying a lot about a bunch of stuff and then i got did the black background fell in love with it and then got stuck there for like a year and a half.
0: Yeah, I mean when something looks good it's hard to walk away.
1: Yeah. And and also people just loved it. You know, there's there's a huge audience on social media that loves dark, moody, weird niche photography
0: but especially i mean you've been describing it as dark but it's like it's dark and dark background and and dark background and dark themed in some ways but there's also this really uh bright like vibrant Lafayette forefront yeah. you know colorful beauty and i think you know that's the caravaggio reference that you made earlier but so so it's not like you know the, none of this is really um you know scary in any way it's it's dark and beautiful and so the yeah, and there is a big following for that for for good reason
1: i i always describe it as the sublime effect that that body of work um trying to find that edge of beautiful and life-threatening um, <laughs> as, as I read it once before and <laughs> described. But, but yeah, so that's how I got stuck in the black background. And then in that time, I stopped taking pictures outside. I didn't do natural light photography, and I couldn't even drive myself. Like, I would try to take a picture outside, and I just didn't care. I didn't like it. And that's when I realized, oh, my God, I cannot allow myself to be pigeonholed at 24 years old, 25. So I ended up doing a retreat with a bunch of um, other types of photographers and pushed myself to start shooting outside again um, and shoot against different backgrounds and shoot with only natural lighting and stuff. And that took about a year to get to find myself being happy with that body of work again and being like, oh, I actually like my pictures outside now. And
0: what were, when, you got, when you were finally happy with them, what, what did this new body of work look like? or What were you doing?
1: Yeah, at the time I was just, I was not even putting anything out. I was just going outside and trying to take pictures on my phone or on my DSLR because carrying a DSLR is uh, such a hassle when you're in the city and you're going to your job or whatever it is. And honestly, I work at a print shop now and phone photos are are just as good quality as DSLRs if you know how to make sure that your exposure and everything's right. So I was just trying to take a picture that I liked, you know, it didn't matter if I could print it or not and then after once i was like getting comfortable with that again and as you said before my work has always had lots of colors it's never been black and white or anything like that or subdued so that's when i started um actually this is a really funny story so back to when i was at the fashion photo studio i worked the evening shift so i worked from 2 30 in the afternoon till sometimes three four in the morning yep and that's also why i was so exhausted at that job yep because they only have two shifts, morning shift, evening I shift. See. Yeah. All right. um, somebody's got to do it. Home. Yeah. It, had to be you. it was me. <laughs> so, what was great about the evening shift though is that all of these really high-end clients would always buy beautiful flowers to put on the tables when their model and celebrity, you know, talent is coming in for the shoot that day, but then they would throw out those flowers at the end of the night. Oh Nobody wanted to God. take them home. So, I was the only person in the whole studio that would take these flowers home. So, I'd always come home every night with like massive shopping bags Full of flowers. That was
0: like the one thing you like. If I get nothing else out of this, at least I get some flowers.
1: Oh man, so many props that, that I, I took. Yeah, to <laughs> I was like, that's psh, that's my hundred dollars of pay I should have gotten today yeah, right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I take all these flowers home. I just have them. And I start incorporating them in my pictures naturally. And and then I reconnected with a friend of mine from Miami that moved up here, musician. But when I knew him in Miami, he was a photographer. I had no idea he was doing electronic music the whole time down there. So he moves up here and he's like, you know, we, we get together, we have a bottle of wine, we're catching up, and it turns out that's what he had been doing the whole time and that's all he wants to do now moving forward okay. and that's why he moved up to New York. And I was like, well, why? Because I come from a family of musicians and I was like, so why, you know, electronic music instead of, because I know he knows how to play all these instruments as well. Oh. Like, why don't you pick up the instruments and just make music that sounds electronic with the actual instruments? And he's like, well, I want to be able to access um, all instruments in a live performance, and it's impossible to have all my instruments with me in a live performance, and then tap into the audience's energy when they come in. Because who knows? I like I don't know what's happening outside before they come in, and what their vibes are going to be like. And and it's much easier to be able to work with electronic music and tap into those vibes instead of having a preset set. Yeah. And I can make you know things based off of what the energy is in the room that night. And I found that really interesting. And I was like, oh. Sound vibrations and how sound vibrations affect us. And duh, why like we all know that, but we don't think about it that often and how you know sound vibrations have been used as torture devices Mm -hmm. and different wars and and all these different things. And so I was like, that's really interesting. I want to do something with you. I don't know what it's gonna be, but I want to do something with you as a musician and something, 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 sound vibrations.
0: (laughs) We're gonna make this happen one way or the other. We're gonna do something with this. Yeah. And uh, and I'm glad you did continue. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. So that. I you know where you're going with the story. I can already tell, and I love it.
1: <laughs> so it led to learning about the solfeggio frequencies, which is the original six-tone musical scale used in ancient Gregorian chants that has been said to help mankind find his inner godlike being, and I thought that was really interesting.
0: So, Hi. so you, uh, so you're talking about Gregorian chants and that, that sort of like that, um, like these different sounds that can be made by humans or whatever yes. that that can lead to whether it's, I don't know, what, I mean potentially oh, yeah. spiritual enlightenment or whatever. But you know, if nothing else, it, it can at least chill you out or that kind of thing. These things have effects on you.
1: Oh, absolutely! <laughs> no, that you're you're 100 on point. Um, yeah. So when you think of Do Re Mi Fa Sol, La Ti Do, that is the 12 tone musical scale take it back six so it's um it's ut re uh, mi uh, sol fa la that's it and i think there's one more but it's been it's been a few years so (laughs) so some of those are still a part of the original six tone they added it more and what happened was just it's a it's a mathematical equation of You know, three hundred and seventy five Hertz to three hundred and eighty two Hertz to four hundred and twelve Hertz to five hundred and seventeen Hertz, and that's how they create those um those sounds. And so what happened was the original six tone musical scale there, A, is set at I'm going to get these numbers wrong, um, is set at something like, let's say, 312 hertz. Rather than when they created the 12-tone musical scale, A is set at 340 hertz. Okay. So everything is slightly mathematically off. So that's why the six-tone musical scale is said to be um, pure, quote-unquote, because it actually is mathematically, the way that it's ratioed out, is much more symbiotic to how those tones are operating and how our body is physiologically responding to that.
0: Yes, because when we're talking about math, we're talking about like universal harmonics, universal laws, these kind of things. So um, being a little off on that is going to have a different effect. Yep. Um, so oh, well, that's very interesting. Oh
1: yeah, I had a. It's funny. I had a girlfriend in college that would always. Tell me something about, did you know that in Western music that the heart chakra frequency is not incorporated in anything? And that's because the 12-tone musical scale skips the heart chakra frequency whatever that's you know whatever you want to call it um and that is supposed to be i think around 524 hertz and the 12 tone musical scale is before it and after it whereas the six tone musical scale is actually right there on it and that's what that's about Uh, because i was laughing at her in college about it and then i'm like oh shit she was right (laughs) i
0: I, well i've learned a heck of a lot just in these last few minutes from you but i actually use um before I go to sleep, I turn on this. It's just like you know, I have like 30 or 40 minutes of uh, these different supposedly it's these different vibrations, these different that, you know, that are set for like the heart chakra, the, you know, whatever healing tones, all this other stuff. I'm like, I don't know if it's true, but it can't. It sounds cool anyway. It can't hurt. I'm going to give it a try. I, I mean, you know, based on other things that I know, it, it it has obviously some effect. And I'm assuming that it's it's probably close to what is described. But I got to tell you, I mean, it's it's pretty cool in any case. Yeah. Science, <laughs> man. Right. Science. <laughs> but science is, you know, science. Yeah, Science is cool. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's
1: the coolest. No joke. So so this whole body of work. So we come up with this whole concept, a very lofty concept, to say the least, focused around sound. And I was like, OK. He's gonna make all, he's gonna make six songs, each one based off of each frequency. And,
0: but right now, this is him just creating these on his electronic devices, that kind of thing, or whatever. Yep. Okay.
1: Yep. And I was gonna make the videos to it because okay. because I'm like, oh, okay, I really wanna do something focused on sound, but I know, and we all know, people don't listen to experimental music. Uh-huh. You know, you gotta give them something interesting to look at to get them to okay. listen to it, especially if it's a three to five minute track. Okay. I have, a, like I said, I come from a family of musicians. Ain't nobody sitting in their room that's a, you know, normal Joe Schmo, to say the least. Um, you know, just like, hey, let's put on some weird ambient electronic, experimental stuff. That sounds great. Like, no, nobody's doing that. Um, <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, I'll make some visuals to it. So okay, once smart. he started doing it, so I'm like, okay, I, I went through, I figured out color theory based off of, that would go along with what the intent of each frequency is supposed to do. And so... We decided to do all of this in a fish tank with food coloring dyes and milk and and soap and all this stuff. And so me and my friends are are playing because I'd never done anything with a fish tank. I never worked with water like that. You know, I've never filmed anything in such a 2D way of just directly... I had the camera in front of the fish tank and we're just dunking things into the fish tank and filming it like that. And... And I was originally just planning on using colors, and that was going to be it. And then we just make some really, you know, beautiful, soothing color stuff with this music. And then, you know, we're, we're playing around. We have, like, a bottle of wine. We're experimenting. We're just saying, what happens? Because we've never done anything with this. And it's supposed to be experimentation day. And I have all these flowers because I was still working at Pier 59 at the time. So I have all these flowers. And I was like, ugh. Oh, fuck it. Let's throw some of these flowers and see what happens. You know, because we're done pretty much for the day. We got the footage. We learned a lot today. And we threw the flowers in and I kid you not, man, it was, you know, it was just like, that was the thing. You know, it was one of those art, beautiful epiphany moments of like, I don't know if I believe in a higher being I don't know, you know, any of that. So but good. something happened, and we had these flowers. We stuck them in there, and magic started happening. We shot for another three hours, but there was this one particular uh, moment. We had the flowers in the back of the tank, and all you could see was this ugly, like, green, swampy goo because it was after we'd thrown all these other colors in. So it's, like, green and getting brown. And then we we pull the flowers up to the front of the tank slowly, and this insane, I'll send you the clip, too. And this is insane moment where the flowers... Push against the front of the tank. The milk's coming down, and it looks like just all the colors that had been in the background of this green come to the front because of the flowers, and this rainbow explosion happens. And all of us went silent. And I swear, all of us had an <laughs> orgasm at the same time. Like I was just like, "That's it." <laughs> A
0: universal orgasm, yes. everyone in the room. How many people are we talking?
1: It was like three. Uh, <laughs> all right, good enough,
0: close enough. Hey, you know, simultaneous—that's fantastic. Slobber. That's that's fantastic. That's that's. Super awesome that you're telling me this because, um, you know, I'm looking. I was looking more in depth at your work because, like I said, we'd never met before. So I'm looking more in depth at your work, and I saw. I think it was in the in the marigold video. So just to give everybody who's just listening and hasn't seen the work yet, the effect that she was talking about with like the milk and the stuff in the in the fish tank. If you don't know that you you can't tell that it's in a fish tank. It looks like it's either smoke or fog or some kind of th- or some kind of thing going on. And when you have these um, flowers that are that are in the in the tank, it looks almost like they're gro- like they were grown there or something. So you're looking at like flowers that are forming a forest and like clouds are rolling through and moving through while you're listening to this fantastic music that that she will give you some really cool details on in just a moment. But but there was this one moment I I believe it was in Marigold that I'm I'm watching and all of a sudden out of the back it's like one of the flowers came loose and started floating to the top and i i knew really nothing about the work so i thought it was some like kind of crazy photoshop animation or something and i was and i don't really usually love that stuff but it's like this is cool this is a cool use of animation or whatever however they did this here that was pretty awesome so once again congratulations on that because <laughs> The combination of the video and the music is just fantastic. and I don't even think you've you've really explained where the music and the sound ended up. So I will let you get to that without further interruption.
1: Yeah, so it's funny. I've been telling people like now when you when you look at my work uh, today, 2019, you'll see all this flower work, but you know the story I just told is how we started in 2017. So, it started with the Solvescio frequencies, me connecting with this musician again and delving into, okay, how like I'm intrigued by how sound affects us and that for me is something very interesting beyond a visual scape. And we had these flowers and then suddenly these flowers just found their quote unquote found their way into the work and it became the work. And so the original body work was called synesthesia and the concept was about okay, synesthesia is this, you know, uh neurological phenomenon where people can smell colors can hear uh hear numbers you know things like that and so I just found that that whole thing very interesting in in relation to how sound can affect our body physiologically not just psychologically and emotionally how invisible things can affect us physically and that's why I named it synesthesia um and the flowers just happen to be accidental and became really beautiful. And so we made six videos, six different flowers and six different colors, all to go along with what the intent of the Solvecchio frequency was. But once we had the show with Gallery 151 in 2017, um, it it became clear that the work was not about the Solvecchio frequencies. It was about flowers and and it was about the colors. Um, And of course, with the sound, but it wasn't so much about the Solveigio frequencies. That just happened to somehow become a a, a lending force to what, whatever is out there telling us what we're supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. if you care to believe in those things. Mm -hmm. And so during that show, I was like, God, Juan, my musician, uh, I was like, how crazy would it be if people are watching these videos of flowers and they're listening to the flower? And he was like, dude, that'd be crazy. And I was like, we're doing it. So, <laughs>
0: it's so
1: cool, mo- like weeks later after that, the opening of that show, um, I also made a relationship with a company called Not Impossible. Not Impossible is a tech company that describes themselves as tech for humanity. And they created. The sound of that. Oh, they're beautiful. Amazing, amazing company. I highly recommend Googling them. Um, they created a vibration suit that. Is I found it through Hyperallergic, if you follow Hyperallergic, the art blog. And so they had posted a review of how Not Impossible created these vibration suits that were designed specifically for deaf people to go into concerts and hear them in real time. And so it's like a a vest piece and two wristbands and two ankle bands. And they took them to South by Southwest and won Best Tech of the Year. They did a collaboration with Lady Gaga when she did her Budweiser dive bar tour. Um, So they had it in a controlled setting and an uncontrolled setting um, for their prototypes. And they were looking for artists to push the ways that this could be, this technology could be utilized in, in more more ways. Yeah. And I was like, hey, there's all this research that has shown that looking at pictures of plants, looking at videos of plants, looking at videos of water, um, and hearing the sounds of certain plants, like certain house plants, have been shown to, you know, reduce muscle tension, uh, or reduce muscle tension release. Oxytocin uh, help with depression, help with anxiety, leads to shorter hospital Just stays. From
0: looking at...
1: Simply looking at it, there's wow. even a study that was done in 1983 in America where this um, this guy came into some hospitals and he did a study where he took I want to say 20 to 30 different patients and in some of their rooms they're all like windowless rooms and you know cement and you know nothing beautiful and he's like okay. We're going to put in some of the patients' rooms, no pictures. Some of the other patients' rooms, abstract paintings. And some of the other patients' rooms, paintings of nature. Or pictures or paintings, pictures of nature. Every single patient that had pictures of nature in their rooms were out of the hospital in half the time. They needed less medication. Their practitioners, half the time. Yeah. (laughs) All their practitioners had a much better uh, attitude as well. And everybody else that had just like abstract paintings, they were better than people that had nothing at all. But it was it led to a massive um, reform in hospitals that hospitals are more or less required to have an art therapy program and or have a garden incorporated into hospitals now, um, which I was like, you know, just mind blown by. Because I grew up in nature, but, you know, you grow up in nature and you try to get away from it as fast as possible most mm-hmm. of the time, okay. as I did ended up in New York. And, and here I was finding myself being pulled back into it through just flowers that were left behind at some fancy fashion photo studio. Flowers
0: that nobody wanted.
1: No one. Oh <laughs> my God. I even did a whole photo series called All the Flowers You Never Gave Me from Those Flowers. <laughs> and so, so yeah. So after that, we, we bought a machine called the Midi Sprout that uh, is it's very similar to um, a... Uh, what is it called? Um, uh, a lie detector. Oh, okay. So it looks like a lie detector. It's just like two two pads that you put on two different parts of the leaf or on a stem or whatever, and it's very sensitive so to the leaf. It's
0: like two pads with uh, so like connections with wires that lead back to this machine. Mm-hmm. So just like a pretty much just like a lie detector.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's and it's like two hundred and fifty to three hundred and fifty dollars depending on which one that you get. So it's really accessible. Oh, that's not, bad. not at all. No, they've they've really they've been doing a lot of research since the 60s on this. Um, there's a, a book called The Secret Life of Plants where, yes, yeah. yeah, the guy uh, guy who was the head of the CIA, you know, <laughs> plugs up his lie detector, head of, not head of head of the lie detector department of the CIA, plugs up his lie detector one day in the 60s to his house plant. And that's how the book starts. And he's like, I'm just, you know, I'm bored and curious. And that's when he, happens. and he's like, oh my God, the plant is responding to me in real time. It got to the point that he was, Five minutes away from his home, coming home, because he just started at this point, like keeping the plant plugged up all the time, like 24/7. He gets into a car crash. The plant, when he goes back home, had had a spike in its thing at the exact same time that he had the car crash. Like it got to the point. Yes, exactly. And even like they they got they realized that when they were doing um I know right you gotta touch your plants talk to them I talk to my plants every day.
0: Well, you can see, I, my, I, I keep some plants in the studio.
1: It's important, you know? Yeah. It's important. They they proved that also when you... They, they did some tests where they would like light a plant on fire and oh, see how yeah. it would respond. Mm-hmm. The plants got to a point where they were so sensitive that somebody could be in the same room just thinking about lighting mm-hmm. it on fire, and it would respond. Isn't that yeah, crazy? Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, I have to do something with this machine. Got the midi spell. We start recording some of the plants. And so we started with... Um, because the whole point was how plants can be therapeutic, and nobody has actually recorded flowers. From what I could see in my uh, research uh, so of like data, like written yeah, house plants. A lot of people are doing house plants, okay. you know, like things that are really easy to keep alive for a really long time, right, right, right. Um, but not flowers. And so I was like, okay. And they had proven that when humans can hear the sound of certain house plants, oxytocin's being released. Or released. Sorry. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, we're gonna get six of the most. Commonly used medicinal flowers, record them, do videos, just to start a base of what this project is going to be about. It's about healing, it's about art therapy, it's about educating people on nature, it's about a lot of different things. And we're going to have to figure out how to condense it, which I am still in the process of figuring out. Yes. <laughs>
0: it's, <laughs> it's a lot. So yeah. It's a, it, it, fair enough.
1: I have <laughs> gotten it down to art therapy, wellness, nature. Yeah.
0: yeah it, you know, it actually seems to Pretty well, um, you know, the explanation is pretty darn well encapsulated on the website. I was I was highly impressed because, um, it, like I said, it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. You guys are doing a lot there. So, But there, there are very concise um, explanations on the website, com. So check those out for sure.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And like I said, it's taken two years to get some of those condensed website bullet points. But, but yeah, so. It's not bad. We spent a year recording the videos of the world of each flower. Um, Juan, a.k.a. aluria that's his uh, electronic musician name. He recorded all six of them, each one going from phases of birth to death. So he recorded them for several days or several weeks or whatever it was, um, and then took all of that raw data, which what's essentially happening is when the plant's being recorded, if you're streaming it through just hearing it as raw data it sounds very mathematical it sounds like beep bop boop beep boop boop, boop, boop boop and then what what the musicians are doing when that work with this machine called the midi sprout they're streaming it through whatever you know program they work with garage band etc cetera, etc and then they're deciding as the musician because the the machine does not record velocity which is a big issue in sound engineering, as I have learned, because velocity is the thing that determines its output, it de- determines its harmony and melody. And so the machine is just recording raw data of points of electronic, you know, responses okay. um, or readings. It's not even—it's not necessarily responding. Sometimes you because right. because you can touch it the plant, and it'll respond.
0: It's little
1: essentially like the battery. water that's running through the plant. It's recording that. Um, and how the plant is deciding to process that water? Because as we know, plants are crazy smart with photosynthesis. We still haven't figured out how to utilize photosynthesis Does, as a humanity. <laughs> yeah, like how can we use sunlight to help us survive? Only yeah, plants are on it, man. So <laughs>
0: uh,
1: here's the plants. Here's the plants. So so we record a lot of the things. So what, my musician or sorry, not my musician. Musician Illyria is doing is he is recording all this raw data and then deciding after listening to all of it and seeing what different ranges the plant is reaching. Okay, so between three hundred and ten to three hundred and fifteen hertz, that's gonna ignite um, this melody of a piano. And from 412 to 480 hertz, that's going to ignite a trumpet or like a string of trumpets or whatever. And every musician that's using the midi sprout, when you when, if you go to midi sprout and look up and start hearing what they're doing, that's what they're all doing. Um, or midi sprout has like these preset, you know, things like of, of sounds. Yeah, exactly. So like if you're just getting used to it and familiar with music, uh, they have that. But you know, obviously we decided we had already been working with sound a lot and he's professional, so he decided his own range. And that's how what you hear when you listen to the videos of Aesthesia, because we dropped synesthesia because it became uh, it became an issue because I actually a lot of people that had have oh, synesthesia came like, out.
0: This, they were work? like, this
1: is not synesthesia. Yeah, yeah. Like, all right, all right,
0: all right.
1: They're like the video. Yes. But the sound doesn't match with the video. Cause I have synesthesia and this is not it. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's, that's cool. a really it's good point. point yeah. yeah. And it was great because I wanted this work. To be beyond the art market, I wanted it to be something that isn't the .001% of people that come to a gallery show to be able to experience something they go home and don't remember about. You know, I wanted to make work that meant something to people. That's why I was so interested in fashion for so long because fashion for me was accessible. So fashion was something that when yeah, I lived in it, yeah. yeah when I lived in South Carolina and uh, North Carolina, I I couldn't find. Any other outlet other than going to Barnes and Noble and finding those obscure beautiful magazines in the back of the racks, uh-huh. and that was the uh-huh. thing that was beautiful to me. I couldn't find art books, you know. I wasn't even aware I didn't go to galleries or museums, and most people don't go to galleries Where and were museums. You in, in South Carolina? Greenville, South Carolina. Okay. I
0: the only place I moved to twice was Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, I lived sorry. there for a while and then <laughs> and then moved back. Um, but yes, but I I've lived all over, so that's that's not saying a whole lot. <laughs> no. I'm a beach man. What can I say? Ooh. And I love my food. But even there, I mean, Charles said, you know, that's like cultural, sort of maybe, yeah. you know, at you know, center. Even then, I mean, you know, there are certainly galleries there, but at least several years ago, they wouldn't be playing synesthesia or esthesia, none of this stuff. So you're, we're talking about two totally different things. So oh, yeah. I hear you. Your only real outlet is what you find, you know, from like the big city magazines or that kind of stuff, and you know, hence here we are. But. <laughs> What you're doing now is fantastic, so. Thanks.
1: Yeah, you know, and it was just something that as I was getting, you know, more in New York, more in the art market, more in the fashion market, and just seeing, getting a bigger understanding of this thing that, you know, when you're growing up as a child and trying to get to New York, essentially, as an artist, you have this very grand idea. And then once you get here, you're breaking down that grand idea and realizing how small that idea really was. Because New York is a very small... Group of people that do things on a big scale solely because we have the press outlets that are only looking at things in New York. Like New York talks about New York, and that's all New York talks about. Yep. Um, and New York is the only thing that the rest of the country reads about. Okay. So, so you end up just uh, talking well, that about is why yeah. We're
0: here, so. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you know, you come here we're because meeting. everyone's here, and it's the place that you can find everyone. And honestly, after six years here, I'm I plan on leaving in the next four years. Um, but
0: well, that's but what, what I said, yeah, and then I'm still here. So. Oh, god, no, I
1: can't. I really don't think I could, you know. It's just, it's just too where will you
0: go? Where, where will you go next? Eh. Once you've conquered New York, where will you go?
1: Well, I'm actually in the process of completely shifting careers. So I've been in the art market for five, six years now, and I'm now because of this body of work about plants and nature, and, and after having done a really big, you know string of nine shows last year themed around this aesthesia work about the flowers. This is what like what's really funny about, you know, this twist of the art market. They want you because you're cool and interesting and new, but they don't ever want to pay you. And then you realize after five, six shows that you've just been taken advantage of this whole time. Like I had that work It's a and, lot
0: of work. Five, six shows people, that's a lot of work.
1: So it is and I had I had that work in major hotel lobbies, you know, that are there for three months and that was a gallery show quote unquote no it's a hotel that used my work for free for 3 months with no licensing you know
0: they had the budget to, no. to just buy the piece out they're owned by the UBS US.
1: bank of course they can they're one of the nicest hotels next to Central Park but they have a rotating <laughs> gallery show in their lobby how convenient right and that show had Ron English. It had C two one five. It had Logan Hicks. It had all the major motherfuckers that you need in New York to make it a legit New names, York artist. But my work was the biggest work because I took over the video screens, and they're all painters. Right. So I had a fifteen foot wall yeah, of my yours videos. Yeah,
0: technically unlimited in size. Yeah, you know, whatever size screen you can get it to. Well, exactly, and that
1: that it's well, it's the best part about video. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Right, but, right, right. but that was really the whole thing is just after doing all these shows, you know, I was like, I have to do them. I have to do them because I have to get the work out there. I got to get these. You have to get the install shots. Honestly, once you have the install shots, you never have to do it again That's for free.
0: That's really what it is all about.
1: It is. And it's like, it's such, it's really frustrating because you're like, I don't deserve <laughs> this. Else? Yeah, I exactly. Mean,
0: it $35 million house. But it was, it ended up being bought sight unseen scene. And somebody just put their dog in there but we won't get into that this is about you this is about you so needless to say they didn't need or want all of the art that we had in there we, we did all the art the furniture everything uh, but anyway oh so before we lose track of this I definitely have to hear a little bit about this like didn't you guys take this project so far that there are actually like candies that are involved, you were getting there, weren't you? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. then I'll let you get back to your also, awesome we'll story.
1: 60 seconds. No, so, <laughs> <really>. so <laughs> we. Time, we're
0: enjoying
1: this. Yeah, so the whole the whole concept of the work was Wimpum Synesthesia about yeah. Sylvester frequencies. It's not quite Synesthesia, no. not really,
0: but it was a cool name. You know, it was a cool concept, yeah.
1: Exactly, but it was visually the same. I was still taking flowers, putting them in fish tanks with food coloring, etc. But we changed the sound. Now instead of hearing Sylvester frequencies, you're hearing the sound of that right, flower. Right, right, right. It's still okay. visually the same thing of like the flowers in the fish tank and everything. And so when people see synesthesia and see esthesia, they see connection. the yeah connection, but it's connection, different. Yeah. And that's why we dropped syn but kept aesthesia because aesthesia is the Greek yeah. origin word that means sensation.
0: Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's, that's that's. I actually, that's the only one that I knew about, so I was like, this is fucking, this is fantastic. The name <laughs> and the that. video, it's fantastic. <laughs>
1: Nobody can pronounce the name of this work. It's my, the funniest well, I part. I
0: wrote it down with the E. Yes, to the A. <laughs> that's my <our> favorite. <laughs> so cool,
1: it's so cool. So, so yeah, so. I was like, okay, how can we push this even further? We had, I reached out to those, um, the vibration suit people from mm-hmm. Not Impossible and they responded within four weeks of my email, which was insane because I never expected them to respond because I was an emerging unknown artist. Who are you, right? Right. But you
0: were pushing boundaries and somebody noticed.
1: They did. Okay. And so within a year of that conversation starting... They were like, let's figure out how to do something. At that point, they had already taken their vibration suits and have been working with Mount Sinai with Parkinson's patients, oh, so cool. and now they work with Parkinson's patients with the vibration wristbands to help them with their motor skill abilities. Um, and there's, you can find tons of videos now. Have you Where seen the this? Vibrations
0: actually allow. Yes, I, okay, I well, Yes, so I shared. I don't do a lot of the sharing online, but I shared on social media this thing. And correct me if if I'm wrong, but Literally, this person, uh, you give them a pencil or whatever, and it's they cannot really control. It's this random, crazy scribbling thing at best. They put this little wristband on their wrist, and I, uh, I guess the vibrations or whatever it is allows them to actually control their motor functions to a degree that they can actually write, draw, and not some scribbly you know, BS. We're talking ridiculous um, advancements. I mean, giving them their lives back to some degree. Um with just this little tiny band that goes on their wrist. Well, I forgot about that. And that's yep. so cool. I mean, see, science is the best. Yeah.
1: So that's that's us. That's who we work science with. Science
0: and art unite.
1: Yes. That and that's their that's their whole concept too, was like, okay, what can we do to push this thing that a lot of people and a lot of investors don't understand how they can make their money back. Right. Um, and that's really the whole issue well, too as an artist. So, yeah, man. So, so actually some and of the yeah, some of those people <laughs> with the Parkinson's patients and those videos came out to the show you're to see. Started. So Don't we, me cry. Oh my God. <laughs> we were crying at the show because I was like, oh my God, exactly. it's the guy. Exactly. How could you <laughs> it was crazy. So, so on the opening night of the show, they came out, they brought two vibration suits with the wristbands and the ankle bands, and the best piece. And they were the first artists they've ever worked with that they streamed one of the flower videos through the vibration suit to certain key pressure points on the body. So they they listened to the song for many months and then they figured out what the key pressure points are that they wanted to ignite when the song is playing as you're watching the video. So that was that was the launch of the work in New York in November of 2018. And we were like, OK, we got oh, these nice vibrations. Yeah, this was just a few months ago, um, not even a year. So I finished I finished the six first the six videos. In August of 2018, then the videos and audio went to a rehab clinic in Boston that specifically works with art therapy programs to help with their. Uh, they're one of the top rehab programs in Boston. They're free, um, and. Like that physical therapy. Rehab. No, no, no! I'm talking about alcohol and oh, drug really? addiction oh, rehab. Yeah, it cool. okay. yeah. Very cool. They're called Column Health, and they have an art therapy program called Unaffiliate that they incorporate into their 90-day program um, that is free for anybody to be able to go to. They have, I want to say, five or six different locations now throughout Boston um, or throughout Massachusetts, and they specifically incorporate, their psychotherapists incorporate how art therapy can be ongoing tools for these patients to be able to have outside of after they do the 90-day program. So they were really interested in how one how we were doing video and sound but they were really really interested in our candy aspect. So we had I was like, okay, how can we push this even further and make it more immersive? Cuz what oh, I yeah. oh, right, We right, haven't even right, talked right, about right, this right, yet. Right. Yeah. Cuz it became an issue with like video yeah. art and sound art where you're trying to get people so you've to got, sit you've down got at these
0: two or three levels of sensation here. You've got the visual, you've got the sound. You got touch. In some way you have the touch. Mm-hmm. And so you're putting, I mean, and that's already beyond most art, you know, outside of music. So you're taking it even further. Here we go. Yeah. So. All oh, the senses. The,
1: yeah, because the whole well, the whole issue was when we did the original Synesthesia show, we created these like video stations that people would sit down in front of the video on these like cushions oh, that we okay. had. And they would watch okay. the video with Let's the see. sound. But people would still be distracted. They would put out their phones. They would hear cars honking outside. You know, there was a lot of ways that people could be pulled away from what the intent of the Solveshio frequencies are. If you don't sit down and focus for the full three to five minutes, no, you're not going to get anything from it. You really do have to focus. So, you know, what you're talking about earlier. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm terrible at it. It's taken (laughs) me... so long to even embrace like, my own work
0: enjoy my own work at this point because i care. i could you not
1: know, it took me 4 years to be able to sit down and meditate like i have been making work that i can write on paper no problem and put it out to everybody else really what it came down to was realizing i'm not able to be immersed in my own work the way that i want other people to what's the problem here how can i make that happen and so i'm like okay we can at add- Every single sense, you know, so that people would be in these bubbles, essentially. So I reached out to this guy named Christopher Bosias, who runs a company called I Hate Perfume. And I Hate Perfume is apparently one of the top perfume companies in the world. I had no idea. I had no idea. I had a friend that come into town. They love perfume and scents. And they were like, you should really reach out to this guy because he's... You know, in the same vibe as you, and I'm like, okay, psh, why not? And as I was like reading his website, never heard this no, and I was reading his website, and he he wrote about perfume in the way that if you've ever seen the movie Perfume, the story of a murderer, oh, I have it's amazing. Watch okay, it. Okay, well,
0: I will now. Dustin
1: <laughs> Hoffman. Oh, okay. Uh God, what's his name? Snape from Harry Potter is in it. The guy who plays Snape. Sorry. You know man. the guy. Oh my God, he's amazing. Okay, well, anyways, great movie. Um, and, and so this perfume is just wrote about perfume in a way that, that resonated with me and he ended up being into the project. So he made scents for each one, but his scents oh, were based wow. off of after listening to the audio of the plant, after watching the video of the plant, and then he made the perfume based off of some elements of the plant and his own experience of it. Cause he has synesthesia. Um, oh, and he has
0: synesthesia most oh, so God. many artists i know apparently <laughs> so i was like
1: okay that that makes sense so you know because cool. he was like i don't want to just make the so pure cool. scent of the plant because that doesn't right. make sense no, for me it. yeah we are passed that and so so that's yeah. what we did and then i reached wow. out to somebody to create a taste Holy element shit. and um so tessa Liebman, funny enough i who was our chef she i met her because christopher bosius the perfumist um His work was incorporated into a big sensory um, immersive show at the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Museum last year. So he did a whole like uh, exhibit of what snow smells like. And he's the first perfumist to actually tackle what does snow smell like. And so I'm in the bathroom and of course I went to go see his show because it was as he was in the development of our work a few months later. And... I'm in the bathroom and this woman comes up and she's like, oh, I love your outfit. And I was like, I love your pants. Like, who are you? Hello. And then I was like, you know, we get to talk why we're at the show and at the Cooper Hero. And and I was like, oh yeah, I'm here to see Christopher's work because he's working with me on my upcoming project. And she's like, shut the front door. Do you know who this man is? And I was like, eh, Uh, I guess. (laughs) Someone told me that he's something. I don't know, I'm here. And he was like, I, I literally went to his shop I read his website, loved it, went to his shop to check it out in person before I reached out to him personally and was like, hey, here's my project, whatever. And he responded like a day or two later. And I was like, great, no problem. So, a normal Approachable. Yes. <laughs> Approachable. Gotcha. And, and so I'm here in the bathroom with her. Just, you know, I met him. Super nice guy. You know, we just like hit it oh, off immediately. Babe. We're both on the same vibes of like why we make art. He's like... He hates when people reach out and just say, "I want to make 20 perfumes about you know silent film stars." Can you make one based off of blah 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 blah? But A by tomorrow. Of he can, but
0: why would he want to? Exactly, and they're like,
1: and do it for free, you know? Like yeah, he oh, oh yeah. he got he got hey. hit up by um the Color Factory, which was one of those immersive shows that were going to be coming to New York, and they're like, we need you to make, we want you to make them um, what green smells like, red smells like, blue smells like, and he's like, um. And who are you? Yeah, and and that
0: sounds like a major payday for him. distill the scent of green. Do, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. One, and he's one, like, one, this is—he's
1: like, this is what I—I I am charged ten thousand dollars cent. That's his rate. And they're like,
0: that's damn, that's damn affordable <laughs> for, for for asking somebody is, to go something.
1: and buy yeah, hundreds of is. dollars yeah. worth of because essentially what a perfume is doing—they're buying hundreds of dollars worth of. Extracted oils, mixing them up to see what might they happen.
0: Also have to put that through their whole sensory system, Christ. experience that, process that for good. Or not everything is is good, you know. I mean, you might smell something green that like gives you a headache, or makes you sick to your stomach, or whatever, mm-hmm. and you still have to distill that. So yes, what we're talking about here is, as we were earlier, process. paying people for the process and the work that they go through for that product that you end up thinking is amazing Mm -hmm. so you you get what you pay for folks.
1: yes (laughs) so this girl is in the bathroom with me and we're you know going back and forth and she's like oh my god how do you know christopher and i'm like oh this is how i met him and she's like i have been reaching out to him for years trying to get him to do something with me And, and i'm like well We're still looking for a taste element. You just told me you're a chef. And so she's like, holy shit, if I can work with you and Christopher's involved, done. So she jumped on board. (laughs) Love Tessa. Her company is called Scent of Plates. And she does a lot of things with different olfactory artists and, and creating these dinner experiences that incorporate scent and incorporate a lot of gastronomy and a lot of different... Um, interesting elements depending on because who her clients are. is a
0: major factor in taste. So, oh, yeah. So, you know, if you couldn't smell your food, you're, you're not going to taste it either. So it's Funny
1: been, enough you would say that. I was in Montreal been. a few months ago, and I went to a restaurant that is run completely by... All the waiters are blind. They are legally blind. You eat dinner in pitch black. You can't oh, yeah. see anything. You know, me and my boyfriend did it. It was... Bananas, like because they don't because they don't tell you what you're eating. So, you
0: they they, they see you in white, no, 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 black
1: black. no. Oh. you have to follow the blind waiter. You hold uh-huh. on to his shoulders, yes. Yes. you are led into the dark room. He sits you down, he you he gives you a breakdown chair. of where everything camera. is. Yep, you oh, can't see, you don't know how big the room is. It's like, you know, nothing. D- black like i've never experienced it before and so we and did, did to your taste? well we couldn't so he we didn't ask what the food was like, i, I couldn't oh, no shit. i ate the whole food with my hands it was hey, disgusting God, awesome. <laughs> i'm just like okay chicken you're in my hands now and mashed potatoes in did, my hands
0: like, did you notice a difference in your i couldn't
1: figure out what i was eating and that's what was so shit. bananas so at the end of the meal we come outside and we tell him what we think we ate and he's
0: like, but you enjoyed it or didn't enjoy it? Oh no, I enjoyed all of it. It was okay. great. Oh, so amazing. Answer. We were like, I don't know what this is. I like it, but I don't know what it is. Like, that I think, experience?
1: I think it's pork. Oh, I think it might be chicken. I think this is cheesecake with peanut butter. I don't know. I was wrong about every single okay. thing except for the broccoli. Like, I got broccoli. You know, this <laughs> is <just feel> like <laughs> broccoli. broccoli. It's yeah. right. Right. But it was, it was really crazy. Just how much that experience was, you know, enlightening uh-huh. to. How much I rely on my other senses to process how I experience things. Um, And so that... Yeah, so we got Tessa. She ended up making hard rock, vegan-friendly candies that had the flower petals or flower extract infused into each one. So you had the taste. You had the scent. You had touch, the vibration suits. You had sound through Illyria. And you had sight through me. And we did this crazy show in November that essentially acted as a prototype of what the show has the potential to be where we just cuz it's it's very difficult to create a show that can be a symbiotic experience of having six synths in a room, having six videos in a room, six soundtracks in a room. It's not a
0: small feat.
1: It's not. And you need a you need a lot of money. That I mean, talking about money though, that show to create
0: that would be worth,
1: that would be worth investing. In. Yeah, that was a $10,000 show. Um just to create the work. It was another $5,000 to put on the show. So let's say we, Let's just round up to 20. It was a 20k project.
0: Booths in most major art fairs cost way more than that. So in the in the grand scheme of things we're talking about next to nothing in the art world. Yeah. So it can be done people look her up, find her, open up your checkbooks, it'll be worth it.
1: <laughs> Thank you God. I need that one. <laughs> I mean, well, what ended up happening last year when we did a CZ, starting with the production side, I did reach out trying to find investors, and it was a really interesting experience because I was trying to raise $10,000 to create the work, doing the sound, scent, taste, um, I didn't need touch and because they were doing like, that
0: out, personal outreach, no, personal no, outreach. Uh, Indie, go, go, no. go GoFundMe, none of this kind of thing. You
1: know, what's funny that you say that I reached out to the gallery that was doing the show with us. Um, that was going to be doing this launch of all the elements of it. Um, which was well play who I was telling you about. And they were very nervous cause I originally wanted to do Kickstarter and they were like, Oh, I don't know if that's a good idea.
0: Why? What was their, what was
1: their and, and mind you, they're not the first ones. I've had multiple people that had that were like my mentors and people from yeah, like the higher. What
0: was their feeling that you were that you were like uh, devaluing your brand, kind of a thing? 100%. Well, oh, oh, that was it. They
1: were worried that I was becoming a charity case and that I come off as a charity case and that I'm not thus high art that could price my photos and videos at $1000 or more a pop so that they can make their 50% commission but and that and it's funny because I've never I don't sell my work that often. I don't live off of my artwork. I've maybe sold five photos a year. You know, and five photos a year is between an 8x12 to a 16x24 that's costing between 50 to $300 a print, you know? What you're
0: saying is you've made less than one month's rent in in the entire year of the art, yet you're creating this fantastic stuff that would blow away any current museum show. Itself. I mean, seriously, come on. Six senses? Somebody please contact me and tell me where you have experienced a show where... And she only mentioned six senses I guarantee you that there is a factor When when there are multiple people in one space Experiencing all this At one time There's going to be a whole other 7th, 8th, ninth sense Level of achievement Because there's no way that tapping into all of this Ends there So anyway, just so you guys know If you really, really want to get on the forefront Of something here This sounds like a fantastic opportunity So, um uh, no, just saying.
1: This is only the beginning, to uh, say no the least. It well, and that's—it was really interesting because it made me realize, that despite how much depth I had added to the work, how many more partners I had brought on board that were, you know, of certain status, of certain, you know, things that are to be expected for investors to want to invest in. And I'm reaching out to all these people and partners and you know, personal contacts and other contacts. And as I'm giving them the, the pictures, they're all, everybody's on board. Mind you, everybody wants to show the work. Everybody wants to see the work. Nobody wants to give me a dime for it. And it made me realize that artwork is not invested in because it's good. Artwork is invested in because people already come for money. And because it is a sure shoe-in, gonna make my money back because they're already celebrity. I will not lie. When I worked for Lena Iris Victor... She comes from a very well-established family and she was 27, 28 when I was working for, for her and she was oh. painting with 24 karat gold mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with no previous job. Right. She does ha- like her family is helping her make this happen right. and she's got a good support system. And, and so, so people, not everybody has. No. And, and that's great. And that is not, yeah, that's yeah. no one's fault to be born right. into a family of privilege. It's, you can't change yeah, where you're born into. It, of course. And yeah. she, her work is breathtaking. And she's an incredibly intelligent person. I have nothing against any of that. But it made me, as somebody who comes from a family of no connections, of no background in the art world, of no money. You know, I come from a very poor family. We were in poverty line the entire time of my entire life. I'm in poverty line still. And... <laughs>
0: And it just in poverty
1: in New York. All right. <laughs> ah, great. I'm poorer than most of the country. Yeah, then exactly. I'm so poverty.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is a little bit messed up, but you know, people who in this town choose to be homeless because they, you know, there are options for them here. That they mm-hmm. now, for better or for worse, they choose to be homeless. I'm not. I'm not knocking them for that because you know, from some of the stories I hear from them, going into you know some of the whatever, you know, some of these places is not. It's, it's better to just be on the street So, you know, every once in a while they're like Oh man, I can tell you got money Give me some money I'm like, man, to tell you the truth I think I actually have less money than you Because you don't have a $2,000, uh, you know, rent payment And, you know, you're whatever, whatever other debt I'm in right now You skipped that whole thing You said, fuck that bullshit, I'm living on the street And... Uh, you know not not you know charity's a great thing and all this but it's just like gosh damn it like to tell you the truth i can tell like just what you collected on this train right now you got more money in your pocket than i do right now oh god too true
1: man <laughs> too true and it breaks your heart every time you see yes. it cuz you're like God, I'm living a better quality of life, there you go. but we're actually on or, the same. Or
0: are we? Because it, uh, they might have less stress. Just, just kidding. Like, oh, it's a, is a case by case. It's... basis for sure.
1: That's true. That's true. Yeah, but market. but it's true. I mean, like I spent seventy five. I'm in seventy five thousand dollars worth of student debt there you go. for a degree from a public university. <laughs> public university, FIU is said to have been when I was there the cheapest public university in Florida. And now, they're apparently the most expensive public university in Florida. Because
0: they got your money. They can make it. Can I know, man. It's because they had
1: Miss Universe pageant yes. there, man. Oh, <laughs> oh, I see. It all was because. Right. Pepsi sponsors them now. Yeah. All for sports. All for sports. But uh, but it's fine. Hey, you know what's cool? Somebody from FIU is just in the Whitney Biennial, even though I hate the Whitney and disrespect them so much. But um, that's fine.
0: Whitney, you're she, great. She, <laughs> says, she says that now. But, you know, as you grow and evolve... And you come to love her. No, just kidding. You know, the the, bullsh- the real thing is, the Whitney would be lucky to have, come on, six hey. senses. Whitney, y'all need this. Yeah. Um, I, I, just, I we'll know folks who do... Sh-
1: every day for this uh, show right now. Remember for, for uh, the guy who was um, owner of Safari Land? Oh, I or know. Or Safari know. Land. You didn't hear about this? Oh, no. Literally, the Whitney Biennial just now every single day for 2 months leading up to the Whitney Biennial throughout every single day there have been protesters there for getting this guy Warren oh god i'm going to butcher his name canders or sanders you yeah know, whatever yeah, yeah. this guy owns a company called safari land yes, safari land owns all these tear gases and bullets and stuff oh, that have been used to yes. protest on the borders and and all these other wars they and so Uh some Lord of War stuff. Well Lord of War, yeah, exactly. So and the Whitney, you know, head came out and said, It's not our job to, you know, be a mediator of these things while every single other museum in the entire world is dropping the Sackler family from their everything. You know, the Louvre literally removed their name completely. Overnight. Kid you know, Nan Golden goes out with her pain group. Oh, it, actually, that's exactly what they did. Sackler family was on the wall, popped it off overnight. Sackler family is now suing the Louvre because they said, um, excuse me, there's no contract that said. And then the Louvre is saying, um, our museum is not about the donators. It's about the art. So we have a contract that says that after two years of a donation, we are not required to have to give any notation uh, or recognition to you. Just it's just a courtesy. Yeah, and in." It's actually, there's no contract that says that. They are just now saying that because they don't want to be associated with the Sackler family because it's um, not a good family to be associated with.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's rough. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's great for us as people who are creating things and sharing it with potentially mass audiences. We, one would hope, you know, to share um, these ideas of like, come on, let's, let's, Try to be at least reasonable in the things that we do in our lives. To make money and, you know, and to, uh, and to provide for our families and to provide, and, you know, in, in many cases, hopefully, you know, make enough money to uh, fund some art project and that kind of thing. But it's like, you know, when you make it off of death, destruction, and killing, there's possibly and probably better ways to do that. So, um, we definitely, it's good for us to promote that when we can. And I certainly don't want to um, take this podcast down any, to any on any note because what you're doing with your work uh, con- reconnecting people with a lot of things, one, the beauty of of nature, the be- the, the, the physical beauty of nature, but then also the scientific um, physiological, psychological, you know health factor, health benefit fact you know factors of, of nature, looking at nature, experiencing the sounds of nature, the smells. I mean, look, aromatherapy, that's a huge thing. So, I mean, that's obviously, you know, uh, um, many, many people for many, many generations have proven that uh, aromatherapy has health benefits. So what you're doing is using your both creative um, abilities and, you know, your thought processing, like... You know, you didn't just stick with that initial idea of, oh, synesthesia sounds kind of cool. We're doing this. You took input and data and expanded upon it and then added even more data by hooking up plants to lie detector tests, essentially. And the plants are like, we don't lie. We have no reason to lie. In fact, we're going to make music for you. And I got to tell you, it's really cool. Like before you, um, before you, you know, when you weren't on your way here, when you were fighting the rainstorms and the train traffic and all that stuff to get here. Uh, I was playing your videos, just, just, just bumping them through the, uh, through the sound system, and it was a super cool, like, it got me in the, in the vibe of, like, okay, I have a feeling of, like, I, I feel like this is kind of what, when she walks into the room, this, I'm gonna get something of this, and those were super chill and mellow, for the most part, um, and you have a high, uh, you know, a good, nice high energy, but then still super chill, but, but it shows through there, and so, all I, all I wanted to say with all of this is that, um. Come on, big donors, invest in these folks who are really—I mean, the 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 depth of work here that we've been talking about today. I mean, look, just look at her website, just look at her Instagram, is ridiculous, and it's beyond most things that you see in museums right now. So, uh, get involved, Thanks. and and for you, keep doing what you're doing because Thanks. it's fantastic. Keep exploring because I mean, you know, you've done a where will it be in two more years? I mean, who knows? I mean, you may be, you may be, you know, curing some disease with this thing accidentally. Who knows? And that's what exploration can lead to.
1: That's absolutely what our goal is right now is I, I've, i who knows how I'll feel about this five years from now. You know, even just reflecting on four years of creating this work from 2017, those experimentation orgasm moments in my bedroom to where we are now in 2019 has been, mind-blowing because it was not the plan it was never a plan to become an artist it was never a plan to try and pursue that type of thing it's one of those things it was just became a domino effect of this experience and and here I am now people like oh you always want to be an artist and I'm like oh no (laughs) oh no this was not this is not it and here we are now finding myself being drawn back to my childhood of growing up in the country and running around and and essentially my goal now with aesthesia is for it to become the rest of my life. You know, like I love the idea of teaming up with botanical observatories and teaming up with health centers and stuff and creating bodies of work on endangered plants, on trees, on coral reef, on, you know, different types of orchids, on different types of daisies, on different types of carnations, on whatever needs to be focused on for whatever that client's purposes is or different types of, you know, colored plants or whatever, whatever the the context may call for there's so much potential we like we've already we've already filmed six new videos this year um, on different house plants and just a random array of, of things that we found that were beautiful and interesting and piqued our interest. So there's more work in progress. There's so much more work in progress. We already... So I, there's a Vimeo page that you can subscribe to um, for two ninety nine dollars a month and we're consistently adding new content to it. So you can either buy each video for $5 or you can subs- subscribe for $3 a month and have consistent access to all the content. And you'll always be the first person to have access to it all the audio is on Spotify, iTunes, and it Amazon. Has a health benefit. Yeah, it has a
0: health benefit.
1: You know, and that's that's my main goal is that I never so have cool. been into that stuff. I've never been into meditating. I've never been into you know doing something with nature or whatever. Obviously, I ran right. to the city as soon as possible, away from nature, and and obviously with so much climate change happening now. And that becoming such a part of our day-to-day experiences.
0: Yeah, we're going to lose some of these plants. Yeah, we, we already, already are.
1: About, we yeah, already exactly. Are. It's I mean, and as much as so many other issues are are so important, you know, if we don't have seeds, if we don't have soil, if we don't have trees, nothing else matters. And it just makes me so, as I'm reading more about botany, so I'm currently in the process now of trying to shift because you know after those nine shows last year i really got burned out and was felt so abused and so taken advantage of by all these people that were just like oh the work is cool but we don't want to give you a dime but we want to show it and we want to put our name on it and we want to promote it as you much as possible me. and we want to be your best friend at the opening but we don't want to talk to you the next day and that's you know half the collaborators i've worked with that's half of the, that's more that's 99% of the people that I've done shows with curators that reach out that act like they care and then when we're at the show they don't actually know the name of the work and they don't even know what the work's about and yet they're there acting like this is the most important work in the show and then and then I never hear a thank you from them about hey thanks for thanks for doing the show or like thanks for showing up yeah Yeah. it's just like isn't this like, I, whenever I did shows, you know, running Scope, or I ran a handful of my own, you know, little, you know, side shows or whatever that I curated, and and I would always, always, always reach out and say, thank you so much for coming, because, you know, no one got paid to do the shows that I did. It was just like, hey, I got a space. If you want to show up and put some stuff on the wall, it's Let's cool, it. and we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was it, and that's all I could offer, and I was very honest about that, and and people would come out and bring some really cool stuff. We did some really cool things, but that was that was about it. You know, it didn't lead to sales. I mean, every now and then, yeah, like at yeah. a blue moon, but like, like more that that was not the goal. Super yeah. Like yeah, the goal was just to have a good time, meet some new people, and like that was it. And I uh, and I'm sure a lot of people could write me off as taking advantage of people in that sense. You, but if they wanted you were to, an opportunity
0: to reach yeah. Of
1: but um, but it just it it makes you so aware after doing it. X amount of times that you're just like, what is this actually doing? You know, what is, how is this actually helping me? How is this mm-hmm. helping mm-hmm. what my work is about? Like, what is, what is this? What is happening? And got I got to that point. Yeah. And that's what led to aesthesia. was I just whole felt whole like, what am work. I doing? You know, this is like all this other stuff just felt like nothing. It felt like we put some stuff in a room and then we walked away and like, blah. And then anesthesia, adding all these elements and creating something. It felt like I was creating something real and something that was really trying to be substantial and people could come in and have this substantial experience. But we were unfortunately given poor conditions to be able to have that substantial experience. So it led to a prototype of a another show that was just a blah, you know? And it was really disappointing, unfortunately. And and it led to you know, there's a, a good handful of other things that would lead to another two hours of podcast time that I won't get into, yes, by, yes. <laughs> but... Uh, we will have you back. Another time, yes, yeah. But, you know, it just—it was one of those things that I was like, God, what the fuck am I doing? You know, what is gallery shows? What is this New York art market? I'm not doing anything. I'm not helping anybody with this.
0: Yet you're breaking your back to do so.
1: Exactly, and I'm being abused to do so. I'm mean, being asked to pay $5,000 to make it happen to do <laughs> so. So I'm in... Right now, lots of debt That yeah, yeah, to yeah, have yeah. made a show happen that meant a lot to me and the team that was on that to make it happen. The four people of that show, yeah. you know, made content to put into it. Yeah, yeah. But the rest of the a people, of the rest of the people, they don't fucking think about it today. They are paying off the debt of still course. today, eight of months course. later, nine months later. And it's something that I was just like, you know, the art market is not somebody I'm trying to impress anymore. It's not somebody I respect It's not a place that i respect it's not a place that means anything to me and for them to be impressed by my work is meaningless because you're impressed by my work because i'm an investment to you i'm a commodity now which is great yeah please let me be a commodity give me your money i'd love that
0: as long as i see yeah Yeah, but keep me alive First, yeah, but
1: like then you you know I've been I've been going up state a lot and going hiking and Bear Mountain and stuff like that and like Cold Spring and I'm getting to just be out of New York sometimes you know for so a back weekend. To real life, you
0: mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, back
1: right. in like what the rest of America is experiencing, and just you know because any other market outside of America, America is a very unique um, mm-hmm. art market right. to say the least. So it's important to to ensure that I am or like make it clear that I'm talking about the American art market yeah. um, and. And America doesn't give a fuck about art, you know, so for us as American artists to be so invested in such a very niche community that is actually only giving their money to people that already have money and that are already, you know, the the artists I used to work for, I was mentioning, she has been listed as one of Artsy's top 20 artists under, under 30 to be on the lookout for. You know why? Because she's a sure shoe in because she already comes from money. So it's it's like, and it's like, no, that 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 person's not an emerging artist. They are a walked into the industry artist. The majority of artists that you see in America are people having worked now in that art market, seen how those people made it. They either, no joke, they either sell drugs. They work in the sex industry in some way on a side business. A lot of the galleries in Lower East Side and Chelsea do work in the sex industry in some way to be able to pay the rent for their gallery and That's selling drugs a in that huge way?
0: Question mark. How the hell are you keeping the lights on in this mm-hmm. dungeons, market?
1: dungeons and drug market? No joke. Mm. Very interesting. I know, blew my mind too. And uh I mean,
0: it, no, it makes total sense. It, my mind's unfortunately not blown because it makes too much sense. Oh God,
1: that's really sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, you, know that. I mean, I'm you know that. I mean, I'm glad you know that. Yeah.
0: That's
1: like, oh, well, now, now that makes sense. Yeah. Like, like, But it, it, it's, it gives you almost like peace in some way because you're like, right. okay, yeah, right. I'm not not doing something wrong. It's that I'm not doing that thing. Yeah. You know, and that's not a thing I want to do. So if I want to make it in art or if I want my art to be a thing that I live off of, then I have to figure out a totally different route of this. end.
0: Yeah, and also, you know what? One major factor is time. I have to tell you this. I got to tell you that time will heal these wounds. So you just keep doing what you're doing. You keep creating and keep that vibe of, I'm not going to sell out in that sense of doing whatever the hell they want me to do. I'm just going to keep making fucking fantastic things that push the limits i mean come on you go who do you who who listening to this right now has been to an art show that taps into all of your senses it directly taps into all of your senses not very many so this is a this is a major thing that's cutting edge and so of course the people that we're talking about they're old school they're old whatever they don't know what the hell to make of this so you can't um take it personally of course you're going to feel the personal effects and they're going to screw you over personally but um time will tell and time will get you to where you want to be you just keep doing what you're doing
1: uh ain't that the truth and it's always important to have a day job in between
0: (laughs) for the time being but that won't always be the case for the time being and let's see if we can help out with this a little bit um because we're at like an hour and a half now so let's say where can people find all of your projects um you know i want to hear about the website i want to hear about instagram and wherever else you are on social and also vimeo because you know people can support this for a very very what three you said three bucks a month and to support your project for three bucks a month and to have health benefits for three bucks a month that's insane so tell us where people can find you
1: yeah so um so you can subscribe to the vimeo page like you said three dollars a month. $2.99, $3. $2.99, $3. And what, how do they find that? Um, so you can just go to Vimeo.com slash Ashley G. Garner. Okay, so just your name. Perfect. Yep. Or you can go to my website and you'll find all the links on my website as well. And the on the project page called Aesthesia, it's the, the home page when you go to my website. Um, once you click watch Aesthesia, it'll lead you directly to the Vimeo page. Um, and or you can go to the project's actual Instagram, which is the Aesthesia Experience. On Instagram and that leads you again the link in the bio goes directly to the Vimeo page so many ways to find us <laughs> but
0: then I also saw I think from for your some of your other personal work you maybe sell prints of your work as well is that the case yeah.
1: um, yes I do I do <laughs> sell lots of prints uh, right now the work that's the prints that are available on the website are themed around the chakras from the synesthesia project Ooh. so you can By a print, uh, each one is a grid based off of like a grid of three by three of the crown chakra, the heart chakra, the uh, throat chakra, the solar plexus, et cetera, et cetera, um, or if you're interested in just buying one of the flower pictures that you see in that three by three grid, that's totally possible. But that's more of a you know email me directly kind of thing.
0: Just let just let her know. I'm sure you'll like what you see. So just let her know what you like, and she'll uh, she'll make it happen for you. You know you can bring it into your home, into your life. Look, eight out of ten doctors I think would highly encourage you to check out her work because it's gonna be good for you. So do it do it do it do it thanks again to everybody for listening I encourage you to check out Ashley's work and as I said if you check out the YouTube video of this when I get it up it will it, you'll you'll get at least some sense of what she's doing with these fantastic uh, uh, you know sort of floating flower and ridiculous um, ridiculously beautiful art videos that, that we were describing earlier we will give you We'll give you a little bit of that, that visual sense soon, too. So thanks again, Ashley, for joining us. And I hope that you'll join us again because I feel like we've got a lot more stories. You seem to have a lot of experience in the world, a lot of stories to tell. So I hope that you'll come back and join us again soon.
1: Oh, I would love to. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Paul.
0: Truly. <laughs> right, the pleasure was all ours. And we will all see you again next time. Thanks, everybody. This episode was made possible by artist and friend of the podcast, Deming King-Harriman She was one of our earliest guests Thank you Deming for introducing us And we'll have links To Ashley's work as well as Notices about Future events on our Site at wetpaintnyc.com And Now I think I'll play us out with Just a very Tiny taste of The music by Oloria for Ashley's Collaborative project This is a bit of marigold.